Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. I want to tell you about my little friend, Tucker. I never had a pet growing up, so I never knew that joy, that bond. We have dogs at lots of times. We call them our rented dogs. <laughs> we have looked after Hurley and Pepper, but mostly we looked after Silky. She was, she died about a year or so ago, poor thing. She was very dear to us. She was an American Eskimo poodle cross with lovely soft white fur, hence her name. Her owners were music teachers, so they went out of town a lot with their school music groups, and we got to look after Silky during those times and when they went away on vacations. Silky was the girl's pal, and so she did most of the looking after. And then Silky had a friend who also needed looking after along with Silky. Tucker was a teeny tiny little guy, definitely poodly with gray curly fur, but combined with what, we don't know. Anyway, he was a fearful little fella. I think he had been mistreated. Um, so he was mean and bitey. When we were asked to look after the dogs, I was nervous about taking Tucker, but I realized that we were no help if we took Silky but not Tucker. So we took both, and I thought, you know, Matt grew up having dogs, so he'd be able to handle Tucker. You know, kind of forgetting that I'm the one that's home during the day. So this one day, I I got the dogs ready to go out for a walk. Success, no broken flesh. But it was rainy, so when we got back in, I wiped Silky's paws so she could proceed into the house. But Tucker was having none of that. He would not let me wipe his paws on pain of death. So I said, that's okay, little dude. I won't wipe your paws, but you can't come all the way into the house until you're dry. So I tied the leash to the door handle and let him sit on the carpet at the door. Eventually, I went and got some treats and I sat there and talked to him and was really gentle and asked him nicely for his paw. And I gave him a treat every time he let me carefully dry his little foot. Anyway, long story short, Tucker became my friend. I started calling the dogs Kate and Bianca, and in case you aren't familiar with the taming of the shrew, Silky was Bianca because she was a cute and pretty and spoiled little thing, and Tucker, though I often called him Tucker with an F, was actually a well-behaved little dude if you could get past the bitiness, so that's why he was Kate. He followed me everywhere. <laughs> I tested it. I took two steps. He took two steps. I took four steps. He took four steps, like always catching up to me and waiting and watching. I'd go to the bathroom and he would sit outside the door so that when I came out, he would spin around in little circles, so excited to see me. And when I sat on the couch with my laptop, he would sit half in my lap, the way I often see cats do in photos on Facebook. Little Tucker was really old, which you kind of forget when they're so teeny, and he was sick. I took him to the vet, and thank goodness for texting, because I was able to keep in touch with his mom and dad, who were in the UK at the time. The vet needed me to leave the room because Tucker was so nervous, and having me there made him protective. 
Anyway, I got some medicine for him and tried to give it to him in his food or with some cheese. He was really unwell um, and had been for a while, in fact. So this was not a surprise to anybody but me. (laughs) He needed to go outside, so I took him and then he couldn't go and his little body was heaving. And back inside, he just kept staring at me as if saying, help me. And I couldn't do anything. I just held him. And he died in my arms. I was so sad. I let Silky say goodbye, and she seemed to get it. But she seemed pretty sad, too, I could tell. It was just... He wasn't even my dog. I'd only been looking after him for three weeks, and I thought, can you imagine how much this would hurt if he'd been your dog for all 15 of his years? So yeah, when my friends post that they've lost a little friend, I get it. Now, this is the penultimate chapter of the story. Next week will be the final episode of Totally Fantastic Title for a while. I need to take some time off to finish writing the Gatekeeper series. You may recall, last week, Griffin went to Victoria for the wedding, and things went terribly wrong. When we left her, her day was not yet over, and she was headed back to the mainland for the big gig with the Spurious Correlations. Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace. Chapter 18. May 19th is far from over. The view from the plane should have been breathtaking, but I had no appreciation for the splendor of the Victoria Inner Harbor, nor for the view of the ferry traveling below us between the islands, nor as we approached our landing site. On any other day, I'd be thrilled to be where I was at that moment, and I'd probably be close to weeping with the beauty of it. Instead, I felt like weeping in despair. My preference was to close the blind and not even look out the window. And my day was nowhere near over yet. Damn. I still could not believe Phoenix would change the gig. Who does that? My stomach was roiling with stress, a hasty glass of wine and nothing to eat but a mushroom cap. The plane landed, and I leapt to my feet to be the first off, but the elderly lady in the seat in front of me made it into the aisle first. I could only do what I could do. I followed her painstaking steps all the way up the gangplank, through the building and to the road, where she pulled a skateboard out from nowhere, dropped it with a clatter, and stepped on. With a few pushes, she surfed down the sidewalk, and I wasn't even a little bit surprised when she executed a perfect kick turn and vanished from my sight. It was 6.40. The band didn't play until 9, so I was still fine for time. Even so, I wanted to be able to relax and have a breather before it was time to get ready. I had promised the cop I wouldn't drive the co-op car, so I caught a cab to the restaurant. It was just a five-minute drive. It was worth the few bucks it would cost me. I chucked all my gear in the back seat and climbed in with it, giving the cabbie the address on Powell Street. He pulled out, turned up House Street, and I shut my eyes. My cell phone rang. It was Jillian, so of course I picked it up right away. Hey, Jill, what's up? There was a sniff and a choking sound on the other end. I sat up, alarmed. Jillian, what's the matter? Jillian? Oh, Griffin, I can't stand it. I'm so sorry. 
Shit, what now? What is it? Take a deep breath. Taryn has done it again. God, I hate her, Griffin. Holy crap, I had never, ever heard my sister speak of anyone like that. What now? Have you had the call yet? No, I guess not. You've been in Victoria all day. Snifter has demanded that you personally make a public apology for what happened at Taryn's wedding. He's demanded I be suspended from dance until you do it. I hadn't thought I had any guts left high enough in my body to sink further. I was wrong. He can't do that. I have nothing to do with the dance studio. How can he take this out on you? He can't have a legal leg to stand on. Mm-mm. I could feel Jillian shaking her head and pictured her long hair swaying. I'm sure you're right, but he's threatened to put a personal boycott on the show and advertise it in the papers. By the time it gets to any legal action, the run of the ballet will be over. The studio is caving and has agreed to cut me from the show. She broke down into sobs. Could this day get any worse? Look, I'll do it. I'll do whatever they want me to. I won't let them do this to you. But Griffin, I don't want you to. It isn't fair. It isn't even true. I can't stand that she's going to get away with this. You should have seen her. She's killer, but the others were glaring at me. They want the show to go on so bad they started pressuring me to tell you, even though it's wrong. They're so selfish. Never mind, Jill. It's okay. I'd already been accused of being selfish today. Maybe this was another way I could prove I wasn't. I'll just do it. You matter to me more than my reputation. I don't even have one anyway. Now don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Hey! The cabbie had crossed the Camby Street Bridge, way off course from where I needed to be. Jill, honey, I have to go. I stuck my phone in my backpack. Where are you going? I have to get to Powell Street. I told you that. What? You said Peveril. No, I bloody didn't. Will you please turn around? He sighed ridiculously heavily, like he was being asked to go way above the call of duty. But he turned around and headed back to the downtown core, where he got stuck in one-way street hell and finally dropped me off at Salamander's. I paid him exactly what I owed him, not a penny more. I suffered his wrath only long enough to slam the door as hard as I could. I burst through the front door of Salamander House of Music and Pudding at seven, my load of backpack and guitars clunking on, well, everything. The place was packed, and the patrons were banging the tables with their mugs, chanting, We want the band! We want the band! Phoenix saw me and came rushing over. His outfit was grey, with about a bajillion yellow ribbons attached to it, which fluttered out behind him like squid tentacles. "'Griffin, where the hell have you been?' "'Oh, for crying out loud, Phoenix, you know exactly where I've been. Now I want to go relax for a bit before we play.' "'There isn't time, you pillock. You start at 7.30.' I wished I hadn't asked if this day could get any worse." No, I insisted. We start at nine. That's what you told me on the phone this morning. And I told you 7.30 when I called you back later. Why are you doing this? I was at a wedding. I had my phone off. I put my pack down on a table and dug through it for my phone. Then you should have got the message once you turned it back on. There was no message when I... Sure enough, the voicemail icon was blinking away. It had not been there before. I swore under my breath and started off. 
Phoenix grabbed my arm. You can't go through here. The restaurant is open, as you can see, I hope, and you're going to crash into the patrons with all that stuff. He turned to the patrons and yelled, Nothing to see here! which of course drew their attention where they hadn't been paying any before. I really hated Phoenix. Now go out here and go around to the employee entrance. He gave me a shove, and I found myself out on the street again. Could this day get any... No, stop it. Do not finish that thought. I stood on the street, pressing my lips and eyes shut, and shuddering like an airplane in turbulence. Tears were very close to the surface. I had to hold them off. I couldn't let go. I was already going to be a mess. I had the faintest of hopes that playing music would be a distraction. Was any of this worth it? All I'd wanted to do was make music. I'd been asked to join this band. I didn't seek them out, so why were they making it so difficult? Was making music with this particular group, with Matteo McCallum, really worth all this? I didn't even know how to get around to the back of the building, so I was forced to brave the darkness of the parkade entrance. Tightening up the dam on the emotion reservoir just a while longer, I stuck to the wall, and since I was preoccupied with stress of a different nature, I persevered. I was in a version of the Iron Man competition, all this running around carrying my backpack and two guitars. When I burst out into the light, it was like arriving home after a long business trip, but I couldn't relax. I had to get inside and up the stairs to find the rest of the band and get myself ready. Getting through the door was another test of my patience, and as I climbed the stairs, I counted them, breathing deeply. Inhale for four steps, exhale for four steps. It was a good try, but by the time I got to the right level and entered the building, I was so out of breath I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to sing again. On the other hand, the exercise had helped me work through my anxiety. I had suppressed it enough that I felt under control. I might have been kidding myself, but it was the best I could do. I was very worried tonight's gig wasn't going to be as good as the first one, but I was experienced enough to know that once we got started, I'd get lost in the tunes and feel much better. I ran down the corridor, glancing at my phone for the time. It had taken me ten minutes to get this far. No problem. Twenty minutes to change my clothes. I could warm up at the same time. I don't know what the group had done about sound check, but if they had done one at all, it wouldn't be too tricky to add me into the mix. It would all be fine. I burst through the door into the studio, calling, I'm here! I didn't know the time had been... I nearly collided with a stranger. A woman... A buxom brunette wearing knee-high boots with heels that put her at six feet at least. Her fish-netted legs stretching out from under a black leather miniskirt paired with a bright red bustier to barely cover her ample cleavage, she was showing more than I do when I'm naked. She wore more makeup than an entire clown parade. Uh, hi. I sought information from the others as I dumped my stuff and started pulling out my gigging clothes. Listen, I'll be ready super quick. Have no fear. Who have we here? The drummer and bassist were warming up in the back of the room. Mateo stepped forward and took the woman by the hand. Griffin, I'd like you to meet Priscilla, my girlfriend. The sound of blood rushing through my head. A stunned expression on my face, I'm sure. My body had pretty much been tasered. Priscilla rubbed Mateo's arm, turning her nose up a little. I see what you mean about her. What? Girlfriend? He had never said anything about a girlfriend, had he? No, he 
kissed me for crying out loud. Had I read into that? No, goddammit. How do you read into the way he kissed me? He'd kissed me like that more than once. Phoenix magically appeared, ribbons and all, and told me in a triumphant voice, We brought Priscilla in because we couldn't be sure you'd make it in time. And it's our seven-month anniversary," she said cutely. Couldn't be sure I'd... I'm here, aren't I? You went and changed everything last minute, and I'm still here. Ah, but you're clearly not yourself. Phoenix tried to put his arm around me, apparently wishing to guide me away. I squirmed free of him and his tentacles. I'm fine. I dropped everything to be here. I will change and be ready to go on stage in ten minutes. I was lying. I would not be ready by my usual definition, but what else could I do? We do not need her. Phoenix spoke behind his hand at the rest of the band. Well, someone's a little touchy. I snatched up my clothes and ran to the bathroom, where I absolutely could not let myself cry. Shaking like a human earthquake, I changed my clothes, squeezed some product into the mess on top of my head, and ran my fingers through it. I observed myself in the mirror, in my black skirt and royal purple top, and couldn't help but compare myself to the leggy woman in the other room. I was grossly deficient. Seven months they'd been together— Then what the hell was all that about, with the way he had been behaving with me? What a dunce I was. A tearless sob escaped my lungs. I splashed water on my face and breathed slowly through my mouth so I wouldn't throw up. Just get through it. That's all I had to do. I went back to join the others. Priscilla was sucking Mateo's face off. He had his hands in all kinds of cozy places. I picked up my guitar, tuned, and then suddenly it was time to head to the stage. Priscilla walked along, side by side with Matteo, where I should have been. She didn't have an instrument. Could she sing? Did she know any of the harmony parts? What the hell would she do? Why was I not putting my foot down and refusing to let this happen? Why didn't I just leave and say forget it? Because all I had been through had been for this. If I left, what would it all have been for? We took up our positions on the stage, me on the left, Mateo in the middle, Priscilla the demon Amazon of Powell Street on the right, what's-his-face the drummer in the rear, flanked by who's-a-what's-it on bass and who'd-a-fliggit on keyboards. I didn't even register the fact that they clearly knew I was coming because there was a freaking microphone set up for me. Phoenix stood beside me as if he was part of the band to introduce us. I plugged into my amp and adjusted the volume. The crowd was restless. The servers dashed around, delivering desserts and beverages so everyone would be set for the music to begin. Rickenbacker leaned against the wall, arms folded across his chest. He kept checking his watch, smoothing down his fancy coat, playing with his hair, all the things a person does when he does not wish to appear nervous. What was he nervous about? He had everything he wanted. I plucked my guitar strings to check my tuning and stepped over to the bass player to make sure I was in tune with him. My set list sheet was on the floor under my microphone stand. I noticed the red pen marks where things had been crossed out, just as Phoenix spoke. Now remember, everyone, since Priscilla's here, she's going to sing the opening number. Vertigo, one of my tunes. Since when, I said. She's not even in the frickin' band. And since when are you the leader? 
Griffin, you've never showed such a display of ego before, Phoenix said. Get over yourself. Priscilla is here, so we may as well give her something to do. Yeah, well, you're the one who invited her, and I'm still trying to figure out why. Come now, just play as best you can, he said, as if speaking to a nine-year-old about to play her first piano recital. He turned to the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been a very patient crowd, an enthusiastic one. I know the band is looking forward to playing for you as much as you're looking forward to hearing them, so I won't stand in your way any longer. Here they are, Priscilla and the Spurious Correlations. I was irate. Now she was getting top billing, for fuck's sake? I was at least grateful for the hard rock pounding of an E chord to eat up some of my frustration. The show must go on, and I considered myself professional, if nothing else. But though I thought I'd feel better once I started playing, I did not. I was near breaking point. I kept feeling sobs climbing up my throat and had to shove them down. Maybe it was just as well I wasn't singing lead. Would I have been able to choke out any notes? The warm-up of singing harmony was probably good for me. I couldn't even hear what's-her-face. I wasn't listening. I figured it would just upset me. We got through the song, I guess. There seemed to be electricity in the room. The place was packed, and the air was ever so slightly sparkly, effervescent. Intense energy emanated from the crowd like sound waves, and the servers rushed around. Everything felt on edge, as if everyone was waiting for something. But since the band had already started playing, it wasn't that. They were waiting for something else. Mateo sang lead in Take It Easy, and I sang my regular part. It felt good vocally, but it seemed like I couldn't play anything right. I was almost certain the band kept skipping beats every now and again. I had to keep my eyes on Mateo, which ordinarily would make me extraordinarily happy, but not tonight. Every time I made a mistake or played it the way we'd rehearsed it instead of the way the band was playing it tonight, Mateo gave me a funny look, and it wasn't the kind, encouraging glance I had gotten used to over the last two weeks. Everything felt wrong. Just get through it. And Priscilla pranced about and shook her cleavage around the stage and made sure the audience could see her clearly, and she sang flat with a lot of downright wrong notes. Her voice was harsh, with no subtlety or dynamics, as much feeling as a bench. The audience cheered and roared. They sounded more like a stadium of 60,000 people than a crowded restaurant. Phoenix wouldn't leave the stage. He behaved like a 60s go-go dancer, showing the audience what they ought to be doing down on the floor. He crowded me, and he wouldn't go away. At least he wasn't threatening to come and share my microphone with me. The third song was supposed to be I'm Gonna Be, but just before I started the intro, Phoenix did step up to my microphone. How are you enjoying the music so far, he cried, and the cheers and feet stamping were thunderous. I won't stop these guys any longer, but tonight we have a special surprise. He didn't specify who the surprise was for. Tonight is a very special night. Our lead guitarist, Matteo, tumultuous applause for him, I studied my guitar strings, has been dating this fine specimen of a woman, Priscilla, hoots and hollers, classy, for seven months. So she's going to sing a song for him. The crowd was on their feet. I looked to Matteo, to the bass player, anyone, for guidance. The drummer, Kenneth, counted us in. 
What the hell song are we playing? I said, away from the microphone. Just as the first notes had to come in, Mateo said, At last. God damn it, that's my song, I protested. The drum entry came in and I had to follow or look like an idiot. I came in on the right chord. I would stake my life that it was the right chord, certainly the one we'd practiced. But my F chord was not even a little bit right in the new key the band had selected without telling me. Flustered, I looked to Mateo, but he was so busy getting ready to be sung to by his cow of a girlfriend that his back was directly to me. The bass player, Marvin, was watching them. I felt completely invisible. I tried to figure out which key they were in. I have a damn good ear, but I couldn't figure out the interval. I swear it kept changing. No matter which chord I tried, it was off by several notes. The audience lapped it up. Priscilla butchered my song vocally while I treated it like a slasher movie. The audience was on their feet and, to my horror, began pointing and laughing at me. Suddenly, halfway through the song, Matteo stopped playing and turned to me with ice in his eyes. Why do you have to go and wreck such a beautiful moment? His tone stabbed me through my heart. He might as well have just told me to bugger off then and there. I held my ground. The world slowed. All day, nothing but nothing had gone right. My rent was screwed up. I'd lost my bank account. I'd smashed a car that didn't even belong to me. My sister was being taken hostage by the most evil businessman in the city, and that was just today. All the crap I'd put up with for the last two weeks. Phoenix's abuse in the kitchen in spite of the effort I'd put into learning. Messing up at the music store. All the screwed up lessons. Worst of all, I'd ruined my friendship with my best friend. I did not know if he would ever want to see me again. And in this moment, I finally realized how much that meant to me. Everything I'd endured in the last two weeks had been because of my desire to play with this band. And now everything was going up in flames. The audience was laughing at me. The band was laughing at me. And there, in front of me, was Phoenix, tears of mirth running down his cheeks, gesturing to Rickenbacker off to the side as if to say, this was all your idea, good one. And there was this knife. The knife felt cool in my hand. It had a nice weight to it and was well balanced. All this time it had been wanting me to use it. It sparkled and tingled and would not leave me alone. I couldn't take any more. Phoenix gave Rickenbacker a thumbs up, gave someone a high five, and I had the sense he'd planned all this, that it was his design from the start to take me down. The knife sparkled in the stage lights. Mateo's arm was around Priscilla, and they faced me, she looking miffed that I'd ruined her moment, and he... Mateo looked adoringly at her. Then he turned to me, and his smile had a hint of derision in the corner, which he matched with his eyes. In my head, I heard Mateo's whisper, I don't want to start something I can't finish. Phoenix took a step toward me, nodding with a gleeful, encouraging smile. I felt again Mateo's kitten-soft lips on mine. I had been preyed upon this whole time, and I wasn't going to take it any more. 
the knife felt good in my hand. The knife that kept reappearing in my possession. The knife was the key, telling me to use it. To make all this stop, I had to use it. I pushed past Phoenix. Mateo's expression changed from mirth to shock as I plunged the knife into his chest. He fell to the stage and his body crumpled into colorful fragments as I fell on top of him in a cacophony of guitar notes. The fragments hissed and sizzled like those birthday sparklers and my hands and knees slammed the stage floor. I heard myself screaming my lungs out, all the screaming I had held back all week. The world came back to regular speed and fireworks shot up out of the stage and sparkling confetti fell out of the ceiling all over. I glanced up to see the other band members literally go poof and vanish, including Priscilla, Queen of the Scrags. Beneath me, Mateo's fragments sizzled and he joined the others in poofdom. I kept screaming. A marching band had appeared out of nowhere in the middle of the restaurant, playing It's the End of the World as We Know It. Someone else was screaming, too. No, you did it wrong! Rickenbacker ran toward the stage, waving his arms. No, he repeated over and over. It was supposed to be Phoenix, not the MGC. Phoenix! Why, why, why did you do that? Didn't he make you hate him? Phoenix still stood next to me, but now his head was in his hands and his shoulders shook. He whimpered, We were so close, so close, over and over. My scream faded and turned into sobbing instead, heavy, racking sobs to reflect what had happened to me the last two weeks. To reflect my recognition that I, Griffin Trowbridge, musician, had just been pushed to the limit so that I had stabbed a person. Never mind that that person appeared to not have been quite real. I had fallen hard in love with him, and he wasn't even real. The last two weeks flashed through my mind, and all the pent-up frustration flowed out of me as I curled up on the stage in the place where Matteo had disintegrated, my sides aching as I wept my heart out, my telecaster in my arms. When I finally pushed up onto my elbow, my nose stuffy and my face drooping from the release of tension, the audience had disappeared. They had been replaced by a small contingent of oddly-dressed folk who sat in gilt-edged armchairs on a raised platform. The brass band had assumed a formation around the walls of the now-nearly-empty dining room. Two men were being escorted from the room in shackles. A tall, spindly figure who looked something like a daddy long-legs or maybe a stick insect approached the stage with urgency in her step. She wore a red and gold brocade gown, at least the top half of a gown. Her bottom half wore gold tights, allowing me to see the spindliness. A large-brimmed hat with an enormous peacock feather had mounds of curly blue hair exploding from beneath it, like the billows of cloud produced by a rocket ship taking off. "'Did we see there a series of magically generated characters?' she asked in a high-pitched operatic voice. Rickenbacker's face lit up in alarm, and he whirled around. "'Why, yes, Madame Skizix, your honourable judgeworthiness!' He bowed so low his head touched his knee. "'I assure you I went through the rules with a fingle sprot and found no reference to MGCs whatsoever.' 
The woman halted. She stared at him. Her indignant glare transformed into a suspicious frown. I shall consult the judges. She pivoted with military precision and walked away. Her bustle looked like a duck's bottom and wobbled as she waddled. M.G.C. Magically Generated Character To have learned what the acronym meant elucidated exactly nothing. Is anybody going to tell me what this is about? I asked, utterly spent. Phoenix sat on the stage steps, weeping and running his fingers through his ribbons. Rickenbacker leaned his arms on the foot of the stage. He was right at my eye level. It remains to be seen whether we placed in the competition, but we can be sure that we did not win the championship trophy. Rest assured, we are nonetheless very grateful for your contribution. I stared at him and followed his gaze to survey the scene around me. Somehow the guitars and bass had all been hung on their stands. I pushed myself up and sat with my legs in a V amid a heaping pile of confetti. No human remains, just the contents of a thorough paper shredder. I sat among the detritus of my dream band, my face dripping wet with my own tears and my heart aching. What? What are you talking about? We, Phoenix and I, are former champions of the Quinquay Annual Interurban Live Action Role Playing Game. May I make the assumption that you are familiar with the concept of the role playing game of LARPing? I nodded. I'd never played one myself, but my bandmates had. My real bandmates. Another little sob escaped me. Calvin, who had found a beautiful, dark haired woman. Phoenix and I are from Salamander, a world other than yours, a parallel world, if you like. I teach audiovisual magic at Salamander University. Phoenix there is a clothing designer and shop owner. We are professional LARPers. The challenge for this year's competition was to include someone from the other world, yours, with the ultimate task of getting you to stab someone, in this case, Phoenix. I stared at him, slack-jawed. You wanted me to kill him? I was too exhausted to feel the resentment I knew I ought to feel at being manipulated to this extreme. Phoenix lifted his face from his tear-soaked hands long enough to say, You wouldn't have actually killed me, dummy. You would merely have triggered the end of the competition. Dummy? But... Really, there were just so many questions I could have asked. I gave up and let myself sag. Rickenbacker looked at Phoenix, who had planted his face in his hands again, and back at me. Clearly, we were successful at one aspect, that of causing you enough aggravation to make you lash out here at the end. Fantastic. Congratulations, I said. Having said that, he went on, we seem to have been mistaken in the direction of your displeasure. Had I been drinking? If not, I sure as hell needed to. Are you telling me this entire last two weeks, from the moment I met you in the hotel, coming here to work, making fucking creme fucking brulee, and the goddamned hose, all the last minute changes, was part of a... Christ, are you saying that Mateo was part of this game? 
I was still struggling with the shock of getting so angry I had stabbed someone, never mind that he wasn't real. Rickenbacker nodded. All of it. Mateo, the rest of the band, Priscilla, the music playing in your head, the bizarre occurrences at your music store, even this restaurant, the other staff and all the patrons. I admit the Mateo part of the plan seemed to have got a bit out of our control. We made some assumptions, regrettably. For goodness sake, Phoenix, pull yourself together, he snapped. Our star participant is recuperating here. You must stop wallowing. But we can't win. I wanted to win. Nonsense. We may still place first, second, or third, depending on how our competitors fared. We won't win the championship title, you're right, but wouldn't it all be worth it just to say we placed ahead of Blinky and Jethro? Which seems likely, I might add. Phoenix shook his head back and forth like a four-year-old having a temper tantrum. No, 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 no. What about me? I cried. I don't care about your stupid competition. I just wanted to play music. What happened to the band? I clutched my belly where a lump the size of a softball might make me barf and searched among the instruments on the stage for something that felt real. And what happens now? Am I supposed to just go back to my regular life and try to pick up the pieces of the great big mess it's become? Rickenbacker crossed his arms on the stage. Yes, well, I might have to take some, ahem, responsibility for that as well. Certainly we won't wipe your memory. Such action would not only be cliché, but it would be a lame ending to a good story. No, we will adjust a few things as necessary and numb certain aspects of what has happened. For instance, your own observation that you were driven to violent behavior is something I take personal responsibility for. As for the rest, I have heard it said that when one's life is falling apart, the pieces really are falling into place. The man was mad. I kind of rolled over onto my hands and knees, maneuvering my guitar, and pushed myself up to standing the way a toddler would. I brushed confetti off my skirt. Can I go home now? I highly recommend it. In a daze, I grabbed my guitars and stumbled back to the rehearsal studio to gather my gear, not too surprised to discover that it was a blank space, a completely empty sound stage. I was reminded of the holodeck from Star Trek. My guitar cases and backpack held lonely vigil in a pool of light. I lay my precious instruments in their cases and mindlessly coiled cable. The sleeves of my jacket seemed tighter than usual. I was just so tired. I finally got my jacket on, slung my telly across my back, my backpack over my shoulder, and picked up my acoustic and my twelve-string. I trudged over to the door, which politely opened for me, saving me the hassle of putting anything down to negotiate it. Thank you, I said, out of habit. Who was I talking to? Oh, well, it didn't matter. I trudged down the corridor and put my back against the door into the dining room. I dreaded seeing what that room looked like, yet I dreaded even more the chilly mid-May air of the outdoors and a long transit trip home. But we do what we must. I stepped backward to push it open, turned and entered my apartment. War Griffin is a mess. 
It's all over, but what happens now? Her life is a shambles. Tune in next week when Griffin says, You were right. I have been proofreading Gatekeeper's Key, so very, very soon it will be coming out in trade paperback and ebook, just in time for all your friends' birthdays. Don't forget, my virtual guitar case is open on Kofi.com. If you have a spare toonie in your pocket, go to Kofi.com and click Explore and look for Crystal Wallace is a Writer. The link is in the episode description. Thank you so much to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Cheers, David and Sharon. Thanks, Phil, for this fabulous guitar solo. And thanks so much to you, my friends, for listening. Now, go be fantastic.